The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for uh, those who have gone before us, for the formularies of the faith, for specifically for the Apostles' Creed, and for those who formed it uh, for us. We ask God that you would, as we now look at our last section, that you would um, bless us as we um, take a look at it, that we would understand uh, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting that awaits us, Lord. Thank you for the great hope that we have in you. Uh, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are talking about the Apostles' Creed. Um, and I have, again, just as you can see, the just for your um, reference, the Nicene Creed. Basically, in this last section, uh, the same. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, which is under the... Holy Spirit, which is interesting. Um, so we, the, the title of this class, this particular class, is The End of All Things. Uh, there is a, a future hope that we have. That's a giant, giant part of our, um, of our faith. Larry's got sheets. If you don't have, uh, have a sheet with the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed on it, um, that's great. So, there's this, Christianity really introduced a linear understanding of time. Uh, it was sort of, cir- it would have been thought of as sort of circular. You know, there's this, life happens, just around and around, and it still feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? But, but we have a linear hope, there was a beginning and there will be an end. And so, we have to know what's going to happen to us at the end. And when those wonderful folks who sat under the apostles' teaching put together this ancient formulary of the faith, they had in mind that we need to know and we need to recite. And those who are being formed in, uh, for baptism needed to be made aware that we have a future hope um, uh, for what will become of each of us. So with that in mind, let's uh, say together uh, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. So just since it's been a couple of weeks, I want to remind you that uh, the word creed is from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. And they, uh, when, when they didn't mean just simply mental assent, they meant I'm putting my trust in. No, we say, uh, I believe in, I mean, a rock climber, I always use this analogy, a rock climber believes in the rope they're hanging from. Every, I'm, I'm a thousand feet up, but I know I'm safe because I'm hanging from this rope. I believe in it. Like, I'm, um, <laughs> at least, and I've watched uh, several other people go first. Last night, we were coming home from, uh, from New York City, um, Amy and Thomas and I, and uh, there was a lot, there was some bad weather, you know, over Jacksonville. 
and they said uh, there's a there's a plane. So we had to we had to take a couple laps, and the um, they said there's a Southwest flight that's going to give it a shot with the landing, and if that goes well, then we'll go. <laughs> wow! If they uh, if they end up landing upside down, we'll probably take another lap around uh, around Jacksonville. Um, yeah. No. So. So with, 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 okay, with the rope and with the landing, I guess, you know, we'll, we're glad somebody else, if they go first. But for us, we understand, we believe, we trust in. And we, we say we trust in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's a Trinitarian nature. What we're affirming every time we say the Apostles or the Nicene Creed is we believe that God is three in one. That He is uh, one God in three distinct persons. Uh, remember you saw that video if you were here with us. If you hadn't seen it, Lutheran Satire. You can go on YouTube and type in Lutheran Satire Trinity. You will see a very uh, inane, but very actually theologically adept uh, cartoon of two Irish guys talking to St. Patrick, uh, understanding the Trinity. And any analogy that you come up with, the Trinity is like water, or the Trinity is like an apple that has a core and uh, and, a, and a, the, the fruit and the and the... Um, and the peel, those are all heresies. Like, you know, if it's like water with steam, ice, and water, that's a heresy. And it's because God is, you know, water can't be, uh, th- can't be steam and ice at the same time, right? And so, uh, it is, God is distinct. The Father is not the Son. He is not the Holy Spirit. Uh, but they, He is one. And so there's no analogy that we really uh, can, can make uh, with that. I always think of, I, I think the best analogy uh, is, uh, I came up with myself, so, um, and, uh, and that is uh, of a brownie, because you know, a brownie has three ingredients, it's got uh, water, it's got egg, it's got brownie mix. Those are, those are the three, <laughs> three ingredients, and, and if you, um, and if you may, if you just had water and egg, it wouldn't be a brownie. If you just had brownie mix and egg, it wouldn't be. You could, you can't make a brownie. It has to be all three. But you can't take a bite and have uh, only one or two, right? You have, you get them all at the same time. Uh, but that, and I've been told by some theologians that analogy crumbles as well. Um, <laughs> so. We've looked at uh, God the Father, we looked at God the Son, and we looked uh, two weeks ago at God the Holy Spirit, and particularly at the Holy Catholic Church, uh, which we said is universal, not Roman Catholic. Uh, today we tackle um, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We're basically going to put resurrection of the body and life everlasting, uh, sort of lump those together. Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. So, I, you know that um, you've heard me talk about Frank Limehouse, who is my mentor, um, at, who's the dean of Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, where I work. And he tells a story about he was uh, at a wine and cheese party, and a man came up to him who had had more wine than cheese, and, um, and said, I used to be part of your congregation back when I was married. My ex-wife uh, always imposed religion on me. And Frank said to him, um, well, is that right? Well, what do you do with your guilt? <laughs> and, and the guy, too, you know, it obviously took the guy sort of off, uh, caught him off guard, and, and he said, well, I mean, I, I've, I have uh, uh, made peace with God, and I have learned to forgive myself. And Frank said, I would not 
bet the farm on that. (laughs) To which the man went away in a huff. What do you do with your guilt is an important question. Um, And so we start with the forgiveness of sins, but we want to ask the question, why is it here? And not in the Jesus section. Because you, I mean, I'm looking around the room. I know that you know how our sins are forgiven. They're forgiven by the cross of Jesus. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross, right? So the Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit is the presence of Christ within us. Um, but why is it here and not there? I want to ask, just begin by starting with um, the question what is sin? What is sin? Well, what do you say? Anything operating outside the will of God is a very comprehensive and good definition. Uh, what else? Anything else to add to that? <laughs> I can't top that. So, um, very, very good. Outside the will of God, because I, I would assume with, as you incorporate the will of God, you're talking um, also about the, um, the law of God is according to His will and that we act. So, anything that does not reflect the character of God could be considered sin. Now, this is different than a lot of people think because people think sin is a, is a checklist of, of things you should uh, not do, right? And if you stay away from those things, then you have not sinned. But actually, let's see what our own prayer book catechism says about sin. On page 848, the catechism said, asks the question, what is sin? And here's the answer. Sin is the seeking of our own will instead of the will of God, thus distorting our relationship with God, with other people, and with all creation. Now you think about the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, The parable of the prodigal son is a story of two sons, not just one son. And actually, I think the weight of the parable is not on the lost son, but on the good son, the elder brother. Because we can look at the younger brother and we know that is sin. The guy ran away from his father. He he basically said to the father, I I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance now. I don't want to have to wait till you die. I'm out of here. I'm living my own life. He comes crawling back. We can name that as sin. We see the incredible grace that the father gives him. But the elder brother, we see that his heart is just as distant from the father as the younger son was even though he did all the right stuff. He stayed at home. He, um, uh, he plowed the fields. But when the father gave the prodigal son, the wasteful son, when he gave him grace and welcomed him back into the family, the elder son knew actually that anything that now that the father gives to this younger son, he's taken out of my inheritance. Because the younger son's already gotten what belongs to him. And he wasted. And yet, so he's furious with the Father. His heart is just as distant, even though he's done all the right stuff. So we can follow the commands of God and still not be within the will of God. So it's not just a checklist. There's a great line in um, a novel by Flannery O'Connor called Wise Blood. And I have to admit that I heard this from someone else. I did not read that novel, and it's on my list, and I'll get there someday, probably in retirement. But um, the, uh, the novel uh, has a preacher who 
said there was a dark, unspoken secret. That, and I can't remember his name. You may know it. It's one of Flannery O'Connor's sort of ongoing characters. Because there's a dark, unspoken secret that he knew that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. So you can live a very good life. In fact, I used to think, as an early Christian, that I, the goal was to not need grace. That I would try to improve my life and my moral countenance such that I did not need the cross anymore. It was sort of like a crutch. Now, um, I see that daily, more and more and more and more and more, I need the cross. I need His grace. It doesn't... His job isn't necessarily to keep me from checking off the, the boxes, although I do want to look at Christ, and I think that when we look at Christ and we're so in love with Him, that we will naturally just float away from those things that we ought not to do. We will want to obey, but see, that grace creates what the law can't produce. It wants, the law wants something good, but it can't produce that uh, in us. So, the forgiveness of sins is not just it's not less than the forgiveness of all the bad things you've done, but it's actually a change of nature that we are uh, that we who are bent towards doing our own will rather than the will of God become bent towards back or straightened out, I guess, towards warning. At least we want to want to do the right thing, right? I want to want to not sin. I want to want to do God's will, even if I don't always want to do God's will. And are you, are you tracking with me? Do you relate to that? You know what I'm talking about? I know that you do because you're human. Um, so, Jesus, when He took our sins upon Himself on the cross, He died for the punishment of our sin, which is to say that God had to, um, had to judge sin. He could not be just if He did not judge the wrong things. But He took that justice upon Himself. He was more against Himself uh, and for, let me say that positively, he was more for us than he was for himself. He, uh, was, he took that penalty upon himself. Jesus died on the cross. He became sin for us so that we might, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus gave us. So it wasn't just forgiven. Like when you, if I say, please forgive me, and I've hurt your feelings, at, at some point you have to bear that hurt, right? You have to sort of, be the place where that hurt gets swallowed. You're not, if you're forgiving me, you're not putting that back on me. And so when I ask you to forgive me, uh, you're bearing that cost in some way. But you're not really like paying the price unless I owe you money or something like that. Now, let's just say that. If I owed you money, and you say, you know what? I'll forgive that debt. You're ultimately the one paying for that debt, right? It's coming out of your pocket since I'm not paying you back. That's what forgiveness of sins is. He paid the debt. That's why the Presbyterians say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Don't want to forget that. It was Dylan. Dylan. I believe it. That Dylan. <laughs> sure it was. Um, oh, Jack, you're awesome. All right, man. So let's use that example. No. That's hilarious. So the forgiveness of sins is not just, hey, don't worry about it. It's the price has been paid. Okay? 
Any questions about that? I mean, I think you get that, but any questions about that? So the goal of the Christian life, then, is not to get you to stop sinning. We hope that will happen. The goal is for you to love God more than you love yourself. That's, a, that is, that's harder than not sinning. Mm-hmm. Love God more than you love yourself. Let me read to you Romans 5, verse 1-11. through 11. And Then I'll probably get to uh, Romans 6. So Paul is addressing uh, the Romans, and he's already talked about grace. He's already talked about being justified not by works, but by faith in Christ. Trusting the finished work of Christ. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we've also obtained access by faith. you got to listen to this, because I know there's some stuff going around in the room, but listen, because... A lot of times, if you're, li- if you're not listening, it'd be better probably if you, had, if you had it in front of you. You could pull it up on your phone, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So justification equals peace with God. Through Him, we've also obtained access to God by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now listen. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He did not say, get strong and then I'll die for you. Or the goal is to get you to get strong. The goal... The gospel is, you were weak, I died for you. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. In other words, I mean, how likely are you, you, if you're going to die for anybody, it's going to be someone you like, who's done good to you, right? But perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled by God in the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I don't think you can really talk about forgiveness of sins from God without talking about reconciliation. That is what we mean. That if our sins are forgiven by God, we have been reconciled to God. Now, the only thing, to, the only question that remains is, is how is your heart in connection to the heart of God? Is that passage as I read? Is it clear to you? Is it is it kind of dense? Feeling okay about that? What Paul is is saying is that um, he's explaining further. The concept of grace. We've said, you know, you can you can say that grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. All right? So he has offered us his own riches by taking upon himself uh, our sin. So the goal of that, forgiveness is not the point. Forgiveness is glorious, and I really need forgiveness. But forgiveness is the means to the point. It's not the point. The means the point is the reconciliation uh, with God. 
So this is what Paul goes on to say about sin. Remember, Martin Luther said that we were simultaneously justified and yet sinners. I mean, you see that in your life. Yes, I know I'm fully justified, but I'm all, I've also got this sin thing going on. You can see where the, uh, the, the people who drew the pictures that we saw uh, in, uh, gosh, Byzantine art and also in Bugs Bunny with the, um, with the good angel on one side and the bad angel on another. We can see how that is because there's this, there's this, um, there's this battle that goes on in us. Right? We want to want to do the right thing. Paul talks about that himself. The good thing I want to do, I do not do, and the bad I don't want to do, I keep on doing. So this is what Paul says about it. What should we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? In other words, if God gets the glory from giving us grace, should we keep sinning so He keeps giving us grace? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? That's what your baptism meant. You were baptized into His death. The old is gone, right? So we are buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him, as baptized with Him in death, if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So you see why the forgiveness of sins is paired with the resurrection of the body. Because if you have, your sins have been forgiven, you will be resurrected with Christ. Because your forgiveness has come through Christ, and only through Christ. You can learn to live with your sin and forgive yourself, but it will not appease your guilt in front of a just God. But that just God is also a loving God who has given us His Son. So, we've been united with Him in His death and with the promised resurrection. So again, why is it here, if it's, it's through Christ, uh, why is forgiveness of sins here? Let me, ask, let me put that question now to you. Why is the forgiveness of sins here in the Holy Spirit section rather than in the Jesus section? So the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and He gives us cues and clues to help us do God's will. Absolutely. What else? The Holy Spirit convicted me that I was even a sinner and was lost. You couldn't even know that you were a sinner and needed Christ without the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Anything else to add? So those are both absolutely right. But let me let me add to that and say that what Jesus has accomplished for you in the cross becomes yours by the work of the Holy Spirit. So you, are, you procure the forgiveness of sins. It, it, you are united to Christ and His finished work by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essentially the glue that binds you to Christ. So you can say, well, that's by faith, but faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? So, so we have that uh, in Him. What do you mean? A lot of people don't accept that. What do you mean? Well, I mean, like, Christ's death was the check to pay our sins. Okay. But a lot of people, for some reason, many various ones, I guess, don't ever endorse that check for themselves. So, Katie says a lot of people don't endorse the check. Christ has written the check. A lot of people don't endorse the check for ourselves. 
Why do you think that is? Guilt, not worthy. Let me tell you, that's just not the way the world works. The law, that is, I do my part, you do your part, is the way the world works, and for good reason. I mean, if you were to get a promotion just because the boss liked you, but somebody else had been really doing a lot better job, and you got the promotion over them, that would not be just, right? And so we are in our lives. I mean, you're not friends with somebody who's ugly to you. You're friends with people who are nice to you, right? <laughs> you're family with people that are ugly to you. That's different. You, <laughs> you still love them. Yeah, right, right. Not, I mean, obviously, somebody I'm not talking about your situation, obviously. I'm talking about somebody else. Um, but, the, you know, that, the way the world works is if I do my part, then you'll do your part. I mean, that's just, that's just there's good reason for that. That part of the law, that, that social use of the law, if you don't get it, if you don't speed, you won't get a ticket. I mean, that's just there's an if-then statement, and if you uh, do your part, then the law does its part. That's a good use of the law. It does not save us, right? Because you know good and well that just because the law says you know 40 miles an hour down down San Jose, you're not going 40 miles an hour down San Jose unless you see blue lights on somebody else, right? <laughs> then you're going to slow down a little bit till you can get away with it and you're going to speed back up. I mean, you know that the law can't produce in you the thing that it wants. And if you obey, if everybody obeyed the law, then traffic accidents would be way down, gas prices would be way down, insurance would be way down, but we don't because we want to get away with what we can get away with. And that speeding is always such a good example. But it works with anything. The thing is, so we just think that it works that way with God because that's the default of the human heart. But it doesn't. God has broken through that default and given us grace, which is the forgiveness of our sins so that we may be reconciled. And how can we be reconciled? Because we were made for an eternal life with Him. Sin ruined that. He's taken care of the sin problem. We will be resurrected from the dead to life everlasting. Right? So you have already, if your faith is in Christ, you have already stepped into new life. You have begun your eternal life. Um, you're going to die right, in this world. None of us gets out of here alive. You cannot outrun death, earthly death. But whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Right? You are going, you, there will not be a moment of lost consciousness for you. Now, I don't know, I said a few weeks ago about heaven that I think that that I'm not really sure how that works. Do you? It's not 2018 in heaven. So there is, there is, I'm, we kind of step out of time. Are you? Will we all be resurrected at the same time? I don't really know how that works. I feel very comfortable saying your loved ones are with you at, are, are, are right now in heaven. In it, but I don't mean it's June 3rd in heaven. So uh, it's outside of time. Forgiveness of sins is the ticket. The resurrection of the body is the train. But life everlasting, that's the final destination, right? That's, that's the hope. You're not going to outrun uh, death. You're going to die, but you're not going to die. That's the Christian hope. Um, think about Jesus' resurrection body. You know, there's some, there's some strangeness to Jesus' resurrection body. They knew it was Jesus, but they weren't quite they, sure. I mean, Mary saw him, but Mary Magdalene, but it was, um, it was she thought it was the gardener, and she didn't recognize him until he called her name, and the the um, disciples on the on the road to Emmaus walked with him for a couple of miles, and never knew it was Jesus until he broke the bread, and they were like, "Oh, it's Jesus!" and he disappeared, like he just vanished. 
shows up behind a behind a locked door in a room full of disciples. I mean, there's, but he ate fish with them. And there, there's there's something whole and and real about his resurrected body, and something different and strange about his resurrected body. But one thing that we know about a resurrected body is it does not decay. Anybody can get on board with a body that does not decay. Anybody excited about that? I am. And I am not quite as experienced as most of, uh, of you all. But um, come on now. <laughs> it's true. But even at my age, at 43, I can see a, a, a decline in my own body. And I know, I mean, I visit you in the hospitals because, because of that. For, we, the fact that we have a promise of a body that does not decay is exciting and wonderful um, that, that we will have our perfect body. Now, yours won't look like mine, and mine won't look like Lou Ferrigno's or whatever. I don't know if he's going to be there. But, you know, it, it, is, um, it is exciting to think that we will have the body that we were made for, and it will be everlasting. But strange. I mean, we, don't know, we can't even imagine what that will be like, that in 10,000 years, my body will be just like it is on that resurrection day. But we will put on immortality. We put on a body that it can't decay so that we can worship God. I and mean, that's the whole point, that we can stand in His presence. If you were to stand in His presence right now, you would decay instantly. You would, you would be blown away by His glory. But you will have a body that will not perish in the presence of His glory. Let me read you again from the Catechism. So now on page 861 in the Catechism, I encourage you to go I mean, there's some things I can quibble with in the in the catechism. You know me well enough to know that. But there's um, there's some really good stuff. Catechism asks this: What is the Christian hope? The Christian hope is to live with confidence in newness and fullness of life, and to await the coming of Christ in glory and the completion of God's purpose for the world. Which is to say, we know there's an incoming, and we await in hope because Christ is coming back. We don't know when that's going to be but God will complete His purpose in the world. What do we mean, asked the Catechism, what do we mean by the coming of Christ in glory? The answer is, by the coming of Christ in glory, we mean that Christ will come not in weakness, but in power, and will make all things new. Well, what do we mean by the resurrection of the body? We mean that God will raise us from death in the fullness of our being, that we may live with Christ in the communion of the saints. What do we mean by everlasting life? Well, let me read the next way. I was going to skip a question. What is the communion of saints? We talked about this. The communion of saints is the whole family of God, the living and the dead, those whom we love and those whom we hurt, bound together by Christ uh, in sacrament, prayer, and praise. It's a great definition. So what do we mean by everlasting life? By everlasting life, we mean a new existence in which we are united with all the people of God in the joy of fully knowing and loving God and each other. So the final question of our catechism is this. What then is our assurance as Christians? It's an important question. It's a good last question. What is our assurance as Christians? Our assurance as Christians is that nothing, not even death, shall separate us from the love of God which, in, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Catechism, 
our, the formulary of our faith. And if you were to go back and look even earlier, than, much earlier than that in history, Anglican history at the uh, 39 articles, they would also affirm that we have incredible hope awaiting us through Christ. Paul says, since we've been justified by faith, we can even rejoice in our sufferings. Like you know, he also says in Romans 8, that this momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. So you can know if your body is decaying, or if you go through the suffering and pain of watching someone else's body decay, or some tragedy happens in your life, you know that there will be an end to all this. This is not what awaits us. We are saved for this life, but we are also saved for the next. We don't want to ever give the impression that we are only saved for the next life and that Jesus just said, you know, you're forgiven of your sins, I'll see you in 80 years when, when you die. And that, there is, we are saved for this life too. But it is, His office is not to get us out of pain and suffering. In fact, he went, His greatest glory, His own greatest glory, was in His ultimate pain and suffering. So we should not expect that we won't have our own crosses to bear. But what we can expect is that like Him, He bore His cross, He died, He was resurrected, we will bear our crosses and we will die and we will be resurrected with Him because our faith is in Him. And that gives us incredible hope that if, if life everlasting awaits me, then I, it gives me a whole different perspective on the suffering that I endure today. I'm with you. When I, I look through it suffering through a magnifying glass, I mean, it feels like it's right here, doesn't it? And I can't see anything else. If somebody gets, if I get crossways with somebody, and I, you know, it's just like that's the only thing that is bothering me. If I um, have an injury or I have somebody who's suffering in my life, it's just hard to gain that perspective. And yet we know, and that's really one of the main job, one of my main jobs is to remind you. This world is not all there is. And that because of Christ, death does not have the final word. And so we can approach each day with the joy of hope, knowing that, that what awaits us will, is, is, is not even worth comparing to what we've experienced. I mean, it's, it's so far beyond. I'd like to, I could probably say more, but I'd like to leave a few minutes for your comments, your questions. Thoughts, reactions, Ellen. I don't know if our hold on, just one second. I was just going to say that the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and all that being in the Holy Spirit part. Um, in the Bible, it says that the Holy Spirit's your deposit, like your down payment of heaven. Of your guarantee, right? Your guarantee. Mm-hmm. And so um, I figured, you know, when you come to know Christ and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then He is your guarantee that the down payment's already been paid. So you can rest in that knowing that you're safe. Because without the Holy Spirit, I couldn't maintain my salvation because I know how I am. So, so Ellen said the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. It's, it is a guarantee by faith. I mean, we have to, there's sometimes we don't feel very particularly spiritual, right? So it's, it's not this, it's not like we can pull out the deed and take a look at it unless you're talking about Scripture itself. That's what you have to put your hope in. When you, when you feel defeated or you think you're not worth it, then you have to remember that you have the Holy Spirit. And he, that's the price. That's the deposit that's been paid. And then all you have to do is remember that he's going to complete what he started. And when you can't remember it, it's our job as the body. That's why you need us. It's our job as the body of Christ to remind you. And I don't know where the scripture is, but it says he was talking to someone and what was begun in the spirit can't be completed in the flesh. And I try to remember.
we yeah. try to complete it by the works and the law and everything. I think that's First Corinthians 15, but I'm not sure. Susie, what were you going to ask? I'm not, I didn't hear everything she said, but are mm-hmm. we going to be aware of our shortcomings in this life, do you think, in the next life, that we were disappointing? And, or are we going to be washed of that memory? The question is, will we be aware of our shortcomings in the next life? In other words, will we have a memory? And I think the question under the question is, will we have lingering guilt? And, and the answer that I would have is, we will see there more clearly than we can possibly see here that all things have worked together for good. So even our shortcomings, even our missteps, missteps we, can, we will see the glory of Christ and how His ultimate will see that. I mean, I don't think we will have forgotten it. I think we will see its glory in redemption. That's what I, that's what I think. Because we'll know all things. Right? Richard. If you're in the presence of God the Father, is anything else relevant? Is it relevant? Uh, it, it, it is defined by and gains its importance because it's in the presence of the Father. I, I, um, no, what I mean is, is, are your memories relevant? Is anything that took place here on earth relevant if you're in, well, in the presence of Well, I think so. I think it is because it will be a part of how we give glory to God the Father. Even our bad memories will see the redemption and it will all become praise. And so I... I, I I think it's relevant in that sense. It's not relevant in that we're comparing, oh, this life is so much better than the next. I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. We'll just see it all as one grand story, all pointing and giving glory to the Father. Last, did you, did you have something? No. Last one? Oh, no, I was just going to, this is actually pointing back to the beginning when you were talking about the Trinity and the different um, ways to describe it and said, most, you know, that those ways really are heresy. I think that it's good to point out, because, I mean, probably many of us have used those, but, I mean, they're sometimes helpful, but they're not complete. You know what I mean? I just don't want people to be like, ah, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Amy's a better pastor than I am. Uh, that's it for, uh, that's it, for, oh my goodness. That's it for, uh, for Apostles' Creed. Next week, we're going to hear from, we're going to interview the kids who went on the mission trip, and we're going to interview Sarah Rich, who is our new intern uh, here for St. Paul's by the Sea. And we're going to learn more about her her ministry and then we're going to start uh, a series on how to understand the Old Testament through the lens of the cross. Go in peace.